We continue our position previews. This time we take a look at the bigs. When will Mark Williams start? And is PJ Washington going to continue to play a lot of center? We'll discuss all of that today on Locked On Hornets. We're Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cuz we live. We live. It's Locked On Hornets, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free. We're available anywhere you get your podcast. That includes YouTube, where if you're joining us once again, we have not changed our clothes. We are recording in bulk. This is the same as what you saw in the other position preview regarding the guards. Now, the wings, we're going to get to that on Friday, which has already happened. And so the time is weird for us as we're recording this one. But we are going to talk about the bigs today. And one of the more important questions is the center position as it's been forever in recent history. And even if you dig some of this information up on like every Hornets box score, we even had center problems in the nineties in the early nineties in the early two thousands. It's, it's always been a problem for this team. And Mark Williams was a draft pick for them in the first round. It's the first time that they've really addressed it since Cody Zeller, at least attempted to address it. Right. They drafted Cody four overall this time. They draft Mark Williams to be that defensive anchor down low. They haven't had it, Doug Mason Plumley Wasn't that guy. We thought he was going to be a backup when they traded for him on draft night, two drafts ago. And he ended up being the starter. They ended up relying on PJ Washington heavily at the five. We'll get to that in just a moment. But really the question is, are they going to show us the bright, shiny new toy at center in Mark Williams in the starting lineup sooner rather than later? Or do you think this is going to be a veteran's job under Steve Clifford? Because that's kind of been his MO. Well, no, I hope it's sooner rather than later. We saw glimpses, right, in summer league. We didn't see anything definitive. Nothing that I didn't see anything in summer league that made me think, oh, yeah, absolutely automatic day one starter, I saw some things that made me think, wow, yeah, if that continues to develop, there, there's a potential there that he could be a really good role-playing center. Uh, and I don't, I, again, I didn't see anything that I thought, oh, wow, that could possibly even be all-star talent. I mean, I think there's a small percentage chance that he goes into this like Rudy Gobert mode um, and, and shocks everyone, but I would put that percentage pretty low in my mind. But you saw some things, especially on the defensive end. I mean, he has a lot of control there, wasn't making a ton of mistakes, was really influencing how those summer league offenses were playing. They didn't really want to attack. They wanted to attack Kai Jones, and Kai Jones was swatting shots all over the place. Why Kai Jones actually averaged more blocks per game than Mark Williams. It's not because Kai Jones is better at blocking shots than Mark. Maybe that's the case. But he, he really, it was about the fact that b people could tell pretty quick, don't go near Mark Williams because he's going to send your shot flying. Which is all, I mean, people would argue that's as valuable, right? So when we talk about rim protection, you're not just looking at the blocks per game and saying that's the best rim protector in the league. There's a ton of the rim deterrence. There's a ton of the created turnovers that don't necessarily go to Mark Williams because a guard second guessed himself, tried to pass it, to the outside when there was somebody in the passing lane and then that's a steal. And so it's funny. We think about these centers who aren't going to, you know, Mark Williams actually runs the floor really well, especially for his size, mm -hmm. but that can create transition buckets. So Mark Williams for the straight up reason of just being big, 
just having an unreal standing reach created a fast break opportunity because a guard got in the paint said oh bleep i ain't shooting this and then turned it over and that stuff is the kind of stuff that makes me want him to start sooner rather than later too like i think mark williams is a smart defender too like i i I want him to start doug you know we, we know what mason Plumley is the, the things that Mason can do really well, like the thing that we notice more so than any one is the reverse dunks. We know that he's got that down pat. We also know that he's a pretty good passer, but oh, if yeah. Mark Williams is a better passer than given credit for Mark Williams is a lob threat. He just has to finish better at the rim. I think that'll come as he gets more comfortable in the NBA, but in summer league to me, I thought he already was very, very good playing his defensive role. And if he has this ability right now in summer league, we'll see what happens actually against real NBA competition. But if that's the case, then man, let's go ahead and throw him out there for some real center minutes in this league. What if Mason Plumley comes out and shoots at the free throw line what he was shooting last season, which was abysmally low and abnormally low? It was just a uh, for him, know, hopefully yeah. for Mason, it was an aberration, but it absolutely killed the Hornets last season, his free throw shooting. Now it got a little bit better when he got an injury and it forced him to start shooting free throws left handed. And luckily that actually made him a slightly better free throw <laughs> shooter, but slightly better than awful is still pretty awful. And if he comes out doing that again, then I think the calculation really has to be, okay, well, Mark Williams is is going to give us a different look defensively and whatever issues he has offensively, we'll just try to limit those in, the, in a very similar way that Clifford... Clifford's very familiar with doing that, by the way, because he had to coach Bismack Biombo for several years, right? There are ways to limit the weaknesses that a player has on the offensive end, but you can't limit... Uh, the weakness of bad free throw shooting because then you just you can't give them the ball at all because the team you know the the defending team is going to just say all right well we can foul this guy at will there's no there's no punishment there yeah mark williams sat at about 75 percent last year in his last season with a drastic improvement and plus you know we talk about the limitations for mark offensively you're not trying to throw it to him on the block and let him go to work but also we weren't asking mason Plumley to do that so why would you ask mark williams to do that let's ask mark williams to do the things that he does well and then try to improve and enhance and develop and do all of that stuff for these young players that all the good coaches are supposed to and steve clifford he seems to understand that right he says the right things. some people would argue that he hasn't developed rookies and young players over the years you could have your evidence for it and against it but mark williams here at least he has he said the right things about how we want the center to improve and if he already comes in being awesome at protecting the rim the thing that the Hornets slash Bobcats have been awful forever at then yeah like what 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 is Mason Plumley doing that allows you to say I want him starting and playing significantly more minutes than Mark Williams I can't really point to it to anything that affects winning like the skill that Mark Williams brings yeah I think there are going to be a couple of factors that determine whether Mark Williams is is going or when he's going to be a starter what how these things develop they're going to be small things it's going to be his effectiveness at defensive rebounding, uh, the physicality that he displays, the willingness to get in there and dust it up and grab a tough defensive rebound. I think it's going to be screen setting. You know, that's going to allow him to, you know, pop off those screens and roll to the basket hard to get those lobs. It's got to start with setting really good screens. And, and then I think the final thing would be just he's going to be put into a lot of drop coverage. 
how well does he read the read the offense and and make and you know have his feet in the right position so that when he does drop he's in a position to make good defensive plays it's going to be a whole different level going from summer league to training camp to preseason to regular season the competition is going to get uh, uh much 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 better how does he deal with all that that's going to determine at what point he is the starter or not but yeah i think if he's not starting by the end of the season then to me that's that's uh-oh territory that we've, well because we've... and it's really because mason Plumley, right like it's because of the lack of depth that you have there it's not because yep. there's somebody in front of him right it would be different if you had even a serviceable dude like even you know with Jakob Pertle, who we've talked about who's a good center not all-star not all nba if he was the guy starting for you then fine you know let's take our time but it's because mason Plumley's in front and you mentioned the competition being a lot better clearly once you move from summer league to the actual NBA regular season, but his teammates are going to be a lot better Mm -hmm. and the fit and the roster construction is going to be a lot better. LaMelo ball, just playing with him alone is going to enhance Mark Williams offensive game where you had, he had no space to work with in summer league. You didn't have a whole lot of good passers or ball handlers like Bryce McGowan's and Jalen Crutcher and Tyson, Tyshawn Alexander were your guys that you're talking about bringing the ball up the floor And then you're moving from that to LaMelo. And I mean, even a Terry Rogier, who at least is going to provide you that space because he can shoot so well. Mark's going to be like, hey, this is easier. (laughs) The NBA is a lot easier than summer league is. Maybe not defensively, but offensively. Okay, see, that's that's where I was going to jump in. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's the interesting thing is that acquiring these new better teammates is going to help him offensively where he struggled in summer league but probably give him some more challenges defensively unless there are some significant improvements from LaMelo Ball sure. and or Terry Rozier at keeping guys in front because they did not do a – neither player did a great job. at, at the, the, the Hornets were great at stealing the basketball. They could read passing lanes. They could uh, – you know, LaMelo was excellent, and Cody Martin too, at, at just picking opponents' pockets and taking it to the other end of the floor. They could do that. But when it comes to just like fundamental keep a guy in front, if the opposing team could protect the basketball and not give up those easy turnovers then the Hornets really struggled to 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 keep the offense from getting into that second level so Mark will have plenty of opportunities to practice yeah uh, his skills at drop coverage what's that middle ground of LaMelo going rogue trying to steal the basketball from behind a dude that is unsuspecting on the perimeter and say okay now you can do that more well wait let's not do it quite as much like where is that ground because now instead of Mason Plumlee you have Mark Williams back there so go ahead okay Mark Williams, yeah. his skill there sets the yeah. agenda. It will set yeah. the agenda and uh, probably help this team tremendously if he can be any kind of improvement. The final thing that I'll say is that for those, uh, I, I want to give some heart to those that feel like that, uh, that they feel that fear that Steve Clifford will limit Mark Williams early on. Uh, Steve has had some quotes on Mark Williams. He actually went to Duke and got a chance to uh, watch Mark Williams play. And here's the quote. I had the opportunity this year to spend a weekend at Duke and saw him practice. The other part I like about him is his whole approach. Bright, hardworking, picks things up very quickly. So that that should give you some heart that Mark Williams, A, uh, will compete, and B, will have an opportunity to do so from Steve Clifford. 
All right, let's talk more about the center position and we'll continue to ask if one particular player is being misplayed so much at this particular position. Coming up next, Locked on Hornets. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just Are we going to continue to see P.J. Washington a ton at the five, even with Mark Williams on the roster? That's coming up in just a moment. Now, before we talk about bet online, it's the fastest and the easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. You can find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet Online, where the game starts. Let's talk about the bigs continued coming up next. Locked on Hornets. P.J. Washington wasn't drafted to be a center here with the Charlotte Hornets. He's been damn sure playing a whole lot of it. Sometimes we have to do what we don't want to do. Yeah. And P.J. I don't even know if P.J. wants to or not. I do know this. Doug, the numbers at at center for P.J. and how they directly affect the team, they have been awesome. Like the team has performed really well with him running a whole lot of small ball five. And so it's funny because we talk about him running that center spot out of necessity because they just haven't had a whole lot of depth there forever, but also they've just been really good. I know you have some of the center numbers where PJ, when he's at that five, you have some of the numbers as far as the team goes and as far as his individual stats go, if I'm not mistaken, you did a lot of share uh, screen sharing in the last episode. Why don't you share that screen once again with this table in front of us? Yeah, I'm back here on clean the glass, looking at some lineup numbers here, and you can see a lot of orange on this on these uh, lineups with big minutes and, and orange is good. It means that the uh, percentiles are high uh, offensively. Uh, they were really good in some of these lineups. Here's ball Rozier, Cody Martin at the three bridges at the four Washington at the five uh, plus three points per possession at 125. That was 87th percentile, not great defensively in either that lineup or if you sub out Gordon Hayward for Cody Martin, um, that lineup, for whatever reason, just did not do particularly well at all. I mean, differential was yeah. negative 18. Offense and defense were poor in that particular lineup. But I think that this lineup, to me, signals what we could see more of it with P.J. Washington at the five. And if you sub out Miles Bridges for Gordon Hayward at the four, so you really are going kind of with a death lineup, a small lineup with Kelly Oubre at the three. You could go Cody Martin at the three here, but then Ball and Rozier using this particular lineup, maybe at the end of games to counteract uh, whatever the opposing team is giving you. That had a differential of plus nine points per possession were 118. Great. 70th percentile defensively 109. Listen, any lineup that had a points per possession on defense for the Charlotte Hornets that were under 110 were great lineups because this Mm -hmm. team just did not do a lot of defending. But even as I scroll down and look at some of the lineups with PJ Washington at center that had uh, under 100 minutes, I'm just going to read off the differentials here. Plus 15. Plus 24, plus 3, plus 5, plus 20, (laughs) plus 49, plus 27, plus 50, plus 73, plus 23. You don't get to a minus until this lineup with 32 possessions between Terry Rozier, Cody Martin, Jalen McDaniels, Miles Bridges, and P.J. Washington. So whenever whenever P.J. was playing the center, you, you had a pretty good chance of having a high differential. 
Well, and, and you just look right. Like if you just look even at his individual stats and, and not looking at all these lineups that you talked about, where there's uh-huh. just pluses all over the place, man, you look at whether he's playing power forward or center, Doug offensively, it's gangbusters, man. Like those guys are scoring at will 95th percentile in the NBA last year when PJ played center and he played center 54% of the time. This is according to cleaning the glass too. effective field goal percentage was 76 percentile turnover percentage. They kept care. Uh, they took care of the ball 87 percentile. You went into some of the defensive numbers. Like this is where I think PJ defensively individually is a lot better than how the team bared out. Right. Because if you're talking about one guy being good at defense compared to the other four that he's sharing the floor with, then the team defense is still going to be poor. But I will say this, you talked about creating some of those turnovers, how the Hornets were good at that last year. When PJ played the five, they were in the 89th percentile at creating turnovers, you know, per 100 possessions. So uh, they can steal the basketball a lot. So that that's why I like PJ playing that center still just maybe not as much. And so you can still go to it as a significant weapon, but you don't have to rely on it, especially in the regular season. So to me, if you have a perfect roster construction, if you have a team that is actually built to go to the playoffs, which hopefully (laughs) this thing can do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, can Mark Williams be your big guy? That is your anchor that plays a decent amount of minutes down low for the regular season. But when it's winning time, got to be performing in the clutch. And then, you know, hypothetically, once you get to the postseason, can you unleash that weapon a lot more and have PJ be that five? Like that's what I like about having both of these players on the roster. You can have some really good identities. Okay. The idea is that Mark Williams is going to be a great drop defender. The idea and the evidence is that PJ is a great small ball five, man. That's a good start, right? Like that's, that's something where, okay, we can go to both of these lineups. If you want to go big, cool. We got something for you. You want to go small. Great. We got something for you there too. At least you have something to build on where another team adapts, you can adapt along with them. Yeah, you need flexibility, right? So, so mm-hmm. I read off all of those differential numbers, and I think someone would listen to that and go, well, why don't they just play PJ at five all the time? Well, because there are <laughs> significant weaknesses that come with that. Like the teams can counter that, and then that's when you get in a situation like that second lineup that I was talking about that was a minus 18 because you can throw somebody with some significant size at P.J. Washington, and he just simply has nothing for them on the defensive end, not because of any lack other than the lack of just height and weight. <laughs> so, But when he was – you know, in fact, when P.J. was – when he most popped off the screen defensively last season, it was when he was guarding guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo and Jimmy Butler. Now, I mean, Giannis is kind of a center, but not really a center. But when he was guarding the best offensive player on the team, which is oftentimes not the center, that's when P.J. put the clamps on and looked really great at defense. But when he's in these small ball five lineups, what you're really hoping for is that you're putting him with LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier, who can slash, draw the defense in. If you're playing somebody with a traditional mm-hmm. center or somebody that doesn't have you know really fast footwork, then you can either put them in pick and rolls or have LaMelo and, and Terry slash and kick it back out to PJ for three. Yeah, and so PJ... PJ has been he's he's almost like a Cody Zeller in that regard you know when you're talking about the the floor I mean he runs the floor pretty well too 
Yeah, no, and, and and this time, and and PJ can shoot too, right? Which is just such a fundamental difference maker. If if you have to worry about your center or your power forward, or the guy that you're guarding hitting, you know, at least thirty six percent of his threes, which is certainly something that he's shown the last few seasons, then that's going to be a huge problem for the defense to try to address. Look. One thing you could argue with here as far as the offense goes, right? Well, Walker, the offense was great last year on all accounts. And so, of course, wherever you put them, you're going to see great numbers because the team overall was very good at offense. And that's true. But if you go back to two years ago when the offense was not like top five in the league, PJ at center, when they put him in there, offensively points per 100 possession, they were in the 77th percentile. They were in the 76th percentile when it came to effective field goal percentage per 100 possessions. This all according to cleaning the glass. So even two years ago, when it wasn't necessarily this huge strength, PJ was still helping this team score as much as he possibly could. And that year he basically played 50% at center as well. Really the idea here is to save his body, (laughs) you know, like let's, let's put Mark Williams in as that drop defender one, because it just helps schematically, right? When they go big, we got a, a guy to throw at you. But also, let's let's not have the smaller dude play center all the time and help him out a little bit, too. Like, it'll probably help his uh, fatigue factor as the season goes on. Yeah, and he's probably going to have more responsibility this season, should have more responsibility this season on the offensive end. His usage actually went down from his second season into his third season. His minutes went down. Uh, but his points per shot attempt went significantly higher, so he was a more effective player as his usage drops. So the question is, if his usage goes up, which I think it's due to go up, um, especially if Miles Bridges is not playing for this team next season, if you know Gordon Hayward's health is always a question mark, PJ could be asked to do a lot more offensively next season. Uh, and so you don't want him expending all of that energy on the defensive end guarding out of position. I do want to get to that in the next segment, along with another topic coming up next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. All right. We talked about Mason Plumley a little bit. We asked a big question about Mark Williams. Just finished up with PJ Washington. Continue on with him. Is there a player X that we're not talking about? Will there be another player that comes in for this team that we'll have to discuss? Are the Hornets done looking for big guys on the open market? That's coming up on Locked on Hornets is locked on hornets well don't let hold on don't let me in my take on that because that's not what i mean i don't mean that he shouldn't nope, be in the that's NBA. what you meant and no, it's disrespectful i mean that You're anthony Tolliver. i'm trevion graham that's who i love it's time for more of the locked on hornets podcast Will the Hornets continue to look for a big guy and actually, you know, land him like a Miles Turner? We'll get to that in just a moment because, of course, the Miles Turner news, it never stops and it won't stop for the end of time. I did want to end with the P.J. Washington thing. I wanted to continue it after we ended it last segment because you talk about maybe P.J. has to do a little bit more offensively. You know, it, it kind of goes into the Terry Rozier conversation that we had a little bit, the other position preview we did. Like, I thought it was okay when the Charlotte Hornets asked PJ Washington to do a little bit more in his second year, right? When PJ had the basketball in his hands, they were trying to figure out, Hey, can that usage percentage go up? Can he put the ball on the deck, try to create for others? And it didn't work out a whole lot. You know, it, it, there was a lot of growing pains in that area. And then the two point percentage, it, I mean, it wasn't very good, you know, like it, it just, I, I think it plummeted if I'm not mistaken. That was one of the things that he really struggled with. But then this past year, 
like I think he chose his spots better and maybe that was due to coaching. Maybe that was just PJ learning when to actually put the ball on the deck, but you could see, especially in the second half, I feel like I, I think PJ got more comfortable with the basketball in his hands. And so, okay, where, where's the happy medium there, right? Like PJ struggled his second year badly, but it was all part of the growing process. And so, okay, like you at least have to have to explore that now it's winning time. And he did show you some improvement in that area last year. Hey, do okay. This, these are the spots that you've picked. This is where you have to continue to hone in on those times where you feel like you can beat your man off the drive. When you get the ball at the top of the key somewhere where you see that alley like that, that's what I'm interested in seeing under Steve Clifford too, when he has to pick his spots. Yeah. I'll give you some numbers to back up what we, what you were saying. So yeah, his, his usage goes up slightly in that second season, but his turnovers increase pretty dramatically. His finishing around the rim uh, drops through the floor. It goes from 60%, which for his position is not, you know, for the big position, maybe it's better if you split that out like power forward. You know, that's cleaning the glass. You kind of got to take that uh, into consideration because they label him a big with all the centers who are going to have these massive, you know, percentages around the rim. So, but 60% drops to 54%. I mean, you can't, it's got to be above 55%. Uh, that yeah, would put him, no, put him like almost last among the bigs last uh, in that second season. Now in the third season, his effective field goal percentage recovers. It goes from 52 to 57, almost 58 rim percentage goes from 54 to a career high 66. Yeah, uh, baby. still wasn't like, see, <laughs> it was good. It wasn't great for the bigs, but good sure. for this team, which wasn't finishing well around the rim. Um, uh, but his, his short mid also improved from 41 to 46%. That's good. His corner three percentage, which is just funny because we've mentioned this multiple times, that for some reason, the weird thing, which is could have a pretty significant impact next season yeah. if it if it recovers back to the mean. But last yeah. season, yeah. no one on the Charlotte Hornets could hit a corner three, and that included PJ, whose percentage went from 42 to 32, just like dramatically lower from corner three. It was amazing. Yeah, I that it right that that is that's actually a positive thing. Hey, can we just go back to average from corner three, one of the more important shots in the NBA? If you can just get back to average, how many wins does that look like? I don't know. Like it, it'll certainly help though. Do you know why you know why making those corner threes at an average level would be such a dramatic improvement? It's not just because it's one of the most efficient shots you can take offensively. It's because missed corner three particularly badly missed corner threes lead more often than not to transition opportunities for the offense. So for the opposing offense. And and so, you know, whenever you're getting put into transition more often, that's going to hurt your defensive numbers. So if the Hornets can just get back to the mean on corner Mm -hmm. three pointers, that's going to both help them offensively and help them defensively. Which bottom line, they're not all going to shoot the same poor rate this year. They're going to improve at least I on mean, to like one half would of think. them. Yeah, give me, yeah, yeah. I'll knock on wood just for the sake of sanity. But yeah, uh, I I would think that that's not going to happen. To finish up on PJ Doug, when you look at these numbers, it just looked like a looks like a guy that's starting to figure it out. And the film bears that out too. When you watch him defensively switching mm-hmm. on, it doesn't matter who, right? Like Kyrie Irving, Bam Adebayo. You know, th- those are. I mean, just 
crazy different types of basketball players that PJ is at least being effective and he's embracing the hell out of it, man. Go look at PJ's Twitter feed. And like when people will praise his defense and put highlights, he's retweeting mm -hmm. it. He's retweeting mm -hmm. it. He's talking about putting the clamps on people, Clifford which will you like just that. love to see. Oh yeah. If PJ starts to embrace that and continues to figure it out on offense, it's why I'm through the moon clearly on PJ self admittedly, probably too high, but I can't help it. I, I, I love what we've seen from him as his defense and his offense even matures no well, and he's becoming extension eligible and I uh so i think the hornets are going to need to see a jump this season for it to make sense to to extend him out and to get him paid um well and yeah I, just like how much because i i i think we would both kind of argue to some degree it, it it makes sense past a certain point so do you just go ahead and take care of this or does he improve offensively kind of benefit from miles bridges absence because this is his time he increases his points per game his efficiency is good and now you're having to pay him a lot more because of the miles bridges instance that took place last year you didn't bet you didn't bet enough on him now he was going to get a lot more money does that happen with pj yeah, like uh, uh, Mitch Kupchak said he loves him, you know, when, when I think I asked him about that um, during media availability, but he wouldn't give a definitive answer. So. Well, that's but I think they should leave their options open. They should leave their options open to move him as well. You know, if he takes a significant jump heading into the trade deadline and they feel like that there's an opportunity mm, to hurts. improve the team. Yeah, yeah. I know. No, I know you're right. it's going. No, you're but right. Listen, I, I'm you coming want to terms that with to it. happen. Right. You want yeah. those difficult choices because the alternative, mm -hmm. which many, you know, Bobcats and early second run of the Hornets fans are familiar with, is when you are faced with a trade deadline where everybody goes, nah, we're good. We don't want any of your players. <laughs> so, like, yeah, we want, yeah. I would want PJ to be a valuable asset, whether they keep him or not. Well, he was the guy that was always thrown in trade conversations last year. So it leads to the question, Doug, whether the Hornets are still looking, how much they're looking, if it's real, and will they actually accomplish getting another big on this team? Somebody that you might feel more comfortable with because we can like Mark Williams all we want. The bottom line be, is we it's have to be it's going to be a couple sure. of years, I think, before sure. he's like, oh, yeah, that's that's a guy you can count on night in, night out. Yeah. So do you want to get your Miles Turner who are, I know there was a Lakers trade that that apparently fell through. There's going to be, you know, Russell Westbrook, I think, was he going to Indiana? I know you had some of the details on that when we were talking about it. Well, just the Miles Turner situation is that there was a deal. Yeah. That, that was being reported between the Lakers and the Pacers. And that deal apparently has gone nine night, night. It's, it's over. <laughs> um, there's not mm -hmm. going to happen. So Miles Turner, once again, the most, the most, uh, I think, I think, like if you're talking about trade machine hall of fame, I really feel like miles Turner has to be first ballot. <laughs> oh yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, this guy is getting, I mean, he is the Mariano Rivera of that. He's getting a hundred percent. He's going to be the first one, especially when it comes to the Hornets because of their need for a center for so long. The good news about this, not for miles, but maybe for Charlotte or any other team seeking his services the good news about it is that it's not going to take the same package that it was going to last year or the year before that his contract has continued to go on. And now we're talking about that contract being off of the books. Now, maybe that's favorable. Maybe you'd like to have them longer, but honestly, I, I don't think it'll, I, it's not an awful thing either way. It probably does prohibit the Indiana Pacers from asking for more like they would have a while back. Now, PJ Washington pretty clearly to me is off of the table where it used to be a pretty good discussion. 
off the table now. Like, no, I'm not going to take an injured player, somebody that has availability similar to Gordon Hayward's and one year on his contract and give you somebody that we might extend. I'm not doing that. And so now you're talking about like maybe a heavily protected first round pick or, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I just, the package decreases for a guy like Miles Turner. So, you know, you can take it there, Doug. Do you want to go to a different player? Do you want to go to Miles? Like are the Charlotte Hornets, should they, still try to figure out a way to land another big uh yes if they feel like you know if they're getting to the trade deadline and they're you know some number of games above 500 they look like they're in a good position to possibly even contend to contend for the sixth seed you know to get out of, i don't think they should do anything if they feel like there's any legitimate danger of being like the 10th or ninth seed going into the play-in where you're not even playing you know where you're not even one game and you're in uh, then absolutely not. But but if things break just completely the right way and you think that a big, you know, a solid big to come in and compliment Mark Williams is an answer, then absolutely. But I just, I think, you know, if I'm thinking about probabilities, I think the probability of them getting to the trade deadline and being in that position, fairly low. For sure. And we haven't seen them do it yet. So, you know, that's the other thing, right? Hadn't been evidence of them actually completing one of these trades. And, you know, we'll continue to talk about it until it happens. But in the meantime, it'll at least serve some decent content. I don't know if you saw it. This has nothing to do with Biggs, but I Mm -hmm. did tweet out a a great article uh, that I read and go to my go go to Twitter. I I can't remember who wrote it. So I want to I want to give them credit. So go to Twitter at Doug Mm -hmm. Branson, LOH, read the article. It was all about Donovan Mitchell. Uh, speaking of uh, players that uh, the Hornets have been in trade discussions about. And there were some numbers that I think really backed up my blowhard opinion, which is you should absolutely consider (laughs) trading away, you know, multiple draft picks for it's not trading away your entire future. It's just a little bit of your future for a talent like Donovan Mitchell, who would solve so many Oh, would that issues. get it done? Like, what, what, what do you think would get it done compared to some of these other packages that teams would give out? Yeah, I mean, because that's the thing, right? There are seven teams that have been in these discussions, mm-hmm. so like the, the Utah is going to ask for a lot. It would take, however, number of ma- probably a maximum number of picks that the Hornets yeah. are allowed to trade under the CBA, plus y- yeah. some valuable trade assets going back, maybe including PJ Washington. Yeah, I, I, I think it would. I think it would take. It would take the max. It would be pretty damn near close to everything that you consider your future now outside of LaMelo, but you would have a new one with Donovan and LaMelo. So it would be a fun tandem to have here in Charlotte if they were able to complete that deal. All right, that'll do it for Lockdown Hornets, the position preview of the bigs going into next season. We appreciate you hanging out with us this week, continuing to talk about the position previews and just looking at some of these guys that could provide a big impact next year. And we'll see if the Charlotte Hornets are done. We'll have all of this content continuing to roll throughout the offseason. Well, now you check us out, make us your first listen, make sure your second listen is locked on NBA. They'll keep you up to date on everything going on within the association, just a 30 minute update. So you'll have time to go check it out again, anywhere you get your podcast, have a great rest of your day and we'll be back with you tomorrow. 